When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Hormone Applesauce's minor league podcast. I am Steve Seiper, and this week we have a Binghamton-centric episode. So if you are from the uh, the carousel capital of the United States or from the surrounding environment, this is the podcast for you. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies played the Somerset Patriots this past week in the Eastern League Division Series. Uh, it was a three-game set. Honestly, as we discussed on last week's episode, it could have gone either way. In Game 1, Binghamton won. Uh, they took the game 9-2. to two. The offense, they flexed their muscles. Every single position player got at least one hit, except Luisa Hanhel Acuna. And he did get on base. Unfortunately, though, it was a hit by pitch, and he got hit in the face. And it, looked, it didn't look good, but... He was back in the lineup, um, you know, a couple of days later, and he seems to be healthy. So, knock on wood, crossing our fingers, everything seems good there. Game two, pretty much the opposite. This time, the pitching shined. Dominic Hamill and Paul Gervais they combined to throw a shutout against Somerset. And again, remember, Somerset had the best offense in in the entire Eastern League, so they just shut them out in a pressure cooker situation, the clinching game. Hamill threw 7.2 scoreless innings. And then uh, Gervais got the last four outs. So Binghamton's advancing, and they're going to be meeting the Erie Seawolves in the championship series. Uh, Erie played the Richmond Flying Squirrels, and clearly they won. Uh, Erie is the AA affiliate of the Detroit Tigers, and they have a couple of prospects on the team. Jace Young is obviously the headliner, and he is more or less their only real deal hitting prospect, but... He is definitely a legit real deal hitting prospect. You know, he's he has the uh, prospect credibility of two guys, so just one is fine. On the pitching side, I have a couple guys. Um, right-handers Ty Madden and Wilmer Flores. Clearly an imitation Wilmer Flores, not our Wilmer Flores. And they also have left-handed uh, pitcher Brent Hurler. All three of those guys, you know, they've had solid years, but none of them have really put up crazy eye-popping numbers or anything like that uh of the group wilmer flores is really the only like notable prospect you know ty Batten was a couple of years ago he's kind of plateaued a little bit um over the years but basically those three are like the equivalent of you know dominic hamill christian scott and tyler stewart you know solid upside um all had you know solid years you know so uh, Seawolves were second in the Eastern League in offense. I'm looking at OPS, and they trailed only the Patriots. Uh, in terms of pitching, they were 6 of 12 in terms of ERA. They were 7th in terms of runs allowed, 
and they were second in strikeouts. So, you know, you all, you add all that up together, weigh it, and they are, you know, an upper third uh, team in terms of pitching. Binghamton, on the other hand, they were 12 of 9 in terms of offense, so that is clearly not good. And in terms of pitching, they were fourth uh, with ERA, they were second in runs allowed, and they were ninth in strikeout. So, you know, add all that kind of stuff up, and I would say that they're an upper third system, uh, a team in terms of pitching also. Last week when me and Lucas and Thomas were comparing Binghamton and Somerset, we all agreed that um, it was advantage hitting to Binghamton and then slight advantage pitching to Somerset. This week against Erie, I think it is push in regards to hitting and push in regards to pitching. I think that both teams are very evenly matched up. Um, I know Binghamton's numbers don't look good in terms of offense. You know, like I said, they were 9 out of 12 on the season in terms of OPS, but that is the entire season. Um, you know, that doesn't include... Well, I mean, it does include, but you don't. You, they didn't get a full season out of Drew Gilbert, who has been an incredible addition to the Binghamton lineup. Um, he's hitting right now on the season with them 325, 423, 561 with six home runs in 35 games. Those numbers don't include a full year of Acuna, who hasn't been as good, um, but he has been an absolute menace. On the base paths, uh, 15 stolen bases he has in 37 games. That doesn't include a full season of Jet Williams, who you know didn't show too much in the handful of games that he played with the Binghamton, you know, at the end of the year when he got promoted. But he has as much helium as as basically anyone in all of minor league baseball with how good he's been in the second half with the Brooklyn Cyclones. Um, the Binghamton offense numbers they don't include a full season of Jeremiah Jackson, who is with them hitting 264, 344, 457 with seven homers in 27 games. So that's literally four everyday players, three of whom were in Binghamton for the majority of the second half and basically a major reason why Binghamton just did so well and earned themselves a playoff spot. So there is... You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I don't want to count my eggs before they hatch. But there is a good chance that Binghamton wins the Eastern League Championship by the time we record our next episode. Uh, Binghamton last won in 2014, uh, a team that was headlined by Stephen Matz, who in that championship series had one hell of a game in the clincher. He threw seven and a third scoreless innings in a performance very much like Dominic Hamill the other day. Um, so the reach that complex from Queens has is very large folks. We, we might be a global force soon, but our own Ken is friends with Mr. Joe Campione and he worked for the Binghamton Mets. And I almost actually said the rumble ponies. I caught myself at the last second there, but he worked with the Binghamton Mets at the time and he got to see that championship series unfurl from start to finish. So... Um, this week, Ken sat down with him uh, in an exclusive interview. <laughs> There's an inside joke for those who know. Um, so after the break, uh, Ken and Joe are going to talk some Binghamton baseball. 
Hey folks, we are getting ready for the finale of Dollars for Dingers, our annual fundraiser for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. This Saturday, September 30th at 4 p.m. at the Ebbs Brewery at City Field. In addition to the hosts of A Pot of Their Own and other Home Run Applesauce podcasts, this event will have drink and food specials courtesy of Ebbs, as well as some amazing raffle items. We've got rare Mets giveaways, t-shirts, bobbleheads, hats, and some extra special surprise items we can't talk about just yet. We will also have three premium raffles, one for a home run apple neon sign created by Athlete Logos, a signed Starling Marte ball, and four balls signed by top Mets prospects currently playing on the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. To win all but the three premium auctions, you must come to the event. Again, 4 p.m. at the Ebbs Brewery at City Field. However, if you can't make it, you can purchase tickets to win the neon sign and the Marte sign ball through a Google form found on homerunapplesauce.com. If you want a chance to win one of the signed prospect balls, you can either come in person or become a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash homerunapplesauce. The deadline for both of those, submitting your uh, request via the Google form or becoming a patron, is 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, September 29th. We hope that you've been participating in Dollars for Dingers all month, but if you haven't, it's not too late. All the information you need is at homerunapplesauce.com. We hope to see you there on Saturday. Thank you for your generosity, and let's go Mets. Hello, everyone. Um, Given that the uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies have um, advanced to the Eastern League Championship Series, uh, we thought we here at uh, From Complex to Queens thought it'd be a a fun little time to look back at the last time Binghamton won a championship uh, in 2014 to assist us with that. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, Joe Campione, who, um, Joe, what was your position with the team? So at that time, I was uh, an intern in the uh, video production department. Realistically, I was kind of running it back then as well. But then uh, I was the uh, director of video production from uh, 2015 through uh, mid-2017. Gotcha. So like running their video. Doing, Pretty uh, much, yeah. Video, was on the board. Uh, yeah. Gotcha, like promos that the guys would do. If it involves a camera and them speaking in front of it, typically in some form or fashion, I was involved. Joe, Joe was doing it. Yeah, almost always. So uh, first, I'd like to ask, um, you know, minor league baseball, it's not really about wins and losses. Uh, but what does a championship mean to uh, the people, A, who work for the team, uh, the players themselves, and uh, the city yeah, yeah. So like you said, I mean, most of minor league baseball, especially affiliated baseball, is really to serve the the majors. And I think in a lot of regards, even a championship does that in some sense. I think right now with Binghamton doing well, as well as back in 2014, the Mets, even though they had different leadership, very much valued minor league championships, I think just as a signal of the health of the minor league organization. Uh, in terms of like the players, you it's, it is playoff experience and definitely talking to the players like back in 2014, it's a long season. They're getting a little tired by the end. But once you kind of get that, well, if we're going to be in the playoffs anyway, kind of mindset, yeah, right. they, they, they want to win. And, you know, there are some guys uh, who are at the end of the run or some guys who kind of know that this is where it is. That this is as high as it gets. And winning a championship means all the more to them because this is kind of it. And for the, the city, you know, it's funny again, minor league baseball attendance kind of comes and goes 
place certainly gets energized when uh, a championship is on the line. Definitely like, especially in the championship series, even now I'm seeing Binghamton attendance is starting to spike a little bit now that they're in the playoffs. You know, the, there's, there's a pride to it. I think that, that Binghamton likes to, to hold on to when, you know, they're the champions or they have a chance to, to win a championship. I mean, even when I was there, you know, we had the minor league hockey team, the Binghamton Senators back then, people still talk about the Binghamton Senators winning the championship back in the, in the early 2010s. So, you know, and even now, I was just looking, you know, WBNG, one, one of the local news stations right there, they're going through all their retrospectives of 2014. When I was there, you know, the team was reformed in 92, and they're, they're still revered because they won the championship. So, you know, even though kind of the, the, the love for the Binghamton uh, minor league team kind of comes and goes at times, it can be a little frustrating at times. Championships certainly mean something to that town. Yeah, championships uh, mean interest comes. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, so good to hear. Um so, uh, I mean, the team obviously was um, in 2014. Uh, so the team now is pretty stacked. I think yeah. something like uh, of the top five prospects, at least four of them are there, uh, partially by design, partially by, um, you know, luck. Some of them spent uh, were, you know, brought into the organization at a point where double A made sense. Uh, others kind of um, were promoted, given that they're the one of the last affiliates standing, like Jet Williams, for example. Uh, the team in 2014 was similarly stacked, but I am looking at the leaders by plate appearances and innings pitched. And do you want to guess who the uh, top three oh, in plate appearances were? I'm trying to think of who was there the whole year, because that year was weird because midway through the season, they called seven guys up. Uh, yeah. Which, from a video well, like, production uh, like Nemo, Nemo came up mid-season. Nemo, I want to see Nemo, Alvarez, Mats. Dilson, like there was there was a, a large influx of single A all stars, yeah. which was really our indication that oh the Mets are trying to win this because all of a sudden yeah, they, they had a similar thing this year where uh, whole year because Jorge was there the whole year but there's no way because Ploiecki was in front of him so there's not a chance that he was yeah, in the, I love Jorge Carrillo to death but there's there's no shot that he was in the top. Uh, uh, the Chase leader Boyd, by played Chase Boyd might have been Chase up Boyd there. is number three. Okay, number so three. Chase Boyd might have been up there. There's two above him, one of whom we've talked about at length, both on this podcast and personally. Oh, man. It, 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 um, see, it's funny, because my first instinct when you say that is Wilfredo Tovar, but I don't think Tovar, because that was the no, year. No, no, he's, he's, he's number seven. Yeah, that was the year uh, he disappeared for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, boy. Do you want to tell that story while it's, while it's here? <laughs> so, so Wilfredo Tovar. It's been like three years since you've been on the show, so I don't think anybody yeah. remembers. No, Wilfredo Tovar, who's, who's Binghamton legend. Um, so the mayor of Binghamton, as we The mayor of Binghamton. Everyone in town knew Wilfredo Tovar. Again, he, he predated me, so, so a lot of his kind of time in Binghamton was before I was there. But when I was there, it was funny just kind of seeing him around town. Everyone got excited whenever Wilfredo Tovar was around. Uh, he's he's a big, tall about, guy who smiles all the time. He, he yeah. spoke about five words of English but most of them were pleasant um so but yeah midway through the season he was just kind of gone and no one really knew what happened to willie i think he went back to to uh, venezuela he was from venezuela, right? yeah. so he, just came, he, was, he was that back there for whatever reason i don't know what the story was or what the reason was but yeah willie was just kind of missing for <laughs> a good majority of that season and then showed back up or like, yeah i think he came back at the end but you know when, when the getting was good uh, brian bergamy is that is yep. that yep. okay That's number one Love Brian Bergamy is number one. He hit 276, 376. I'm, happy I'm proud of that one. Uh, that's an 880 OPS, which looks like it led the team. No, Herrera did, but Herrera. Herrera was, Herrera was a freaking nature on that team. 
Berg, it, it's funny, those two are kind of related because Bergamy was definitely resident grouch for the first half of the season. Sense. Again, an older guy, you know, on the way down. Yeah, been around. He was 30. He, he, had his, he had his cup of coffee. Like, it kind of was what it was. And about midway, again, midway through the season when a bunch of the kids came up, but especially Dilson, for whatever reason, Brian Bergamy really seemed to kind of gel with Dilson Herrera and that youthful energy. And he kind of started to really take on that, like, mentorship role and it's like he switched he went from like kind of resident grouch i'm just here to be here to like actually enjoying <laughs> being there and and it was you know very nice to work with the rest of the season and really seemed to enjoy being around the, the youthful energy and, and i think yeah, winning probably yeah, helps it guys, yeah, also yeah. true yeah winning, winning makes everything easier especially yeah. with a three-year-old in double a imagine you don't have much tolerance for not winning not a ton no oh man i'm trying to think i i have a name blanking on uh, i have a face and i'm blanking on the names it's not gavin chikini it's the other problem child who we had to deal with i'm trying to blame dustin bogley i believe he was number two Oh, uh, yeah, but, yeah that, was, that was the year where he, yeah, that makes sense. 235, 292, 439 with a 730 OPS in 447 at-bats. That was before he uh, became So very true to form. Guy. Yeah, that was very before he became like form. like super true three outcome. Well, not even three outcome guy, kind of two outcome guy. But, he really uh, just like, yeah, like one and a half strikeouts. Swing, swing as hard swing, yeah, swing as hard as you can, hit a dinger. It, you, again, we, we've been over his – uh, thought process of the plate before when I think it was 2015 or 16 when he was striking out at an incredible yeah, rate. Just, just before the end, yeah. Yeah, and someone had asked him about that, and he goes, well, basically the way I look at it, strikeout and a fly is the same thing, so you may as well just try to hit dinger. So that was just, that was Dustin Lawley. I mean, it's show. advice we should all live by, really. It's, um, look, when you're as big as Dustin Lawley as it works. Uh, and then number three is the aforementioned Jace Boyd, um, who's, uh, you know, relatively frequent concern on this podcast so yeah um and, and i guess we'll talk we'll talk about the championship in a minute yeah uh, the actual run but um let's i figure we just remember some more guys for oh yeah minute. absolutely yeah jog my memory uh, even more, please so daryl siciliani is next yeah, that was that was the that was the one i was thinking of i was trying to remember daryl's name but yeah <laughs> uh famous famous goon and so goon is probably a strong term but he he was definitely problem child. So he was the guy who, if it was raining outside and we kind of knew we weren't playing the game, and especially if he got to our beat writer ahead of time, who usually found out a game was canceled before they informed the players. Uh, Pedro Lopez, who was the manager, did not allow our players to remove their uniform until the game was officially not called. Uh, so Daryl worked around that by having his street clothes, typically in a sweatshirt, under his uniform so that when they did officially call the game, he could just bam, be Superman ready. it. And yeah, pretty much. Be ready, gotcha. be ready for the night. Uh, I believe it was also the same. Yeah, it was the same year that uh, when I went to a game in Trenton back when they were the Yankee affiliate, uh, Daryl took a pitch inside. He believed he was hit by the pitch. Um, the umpire ruled he was not hit by the pitch. Arguments ensued. Next pitch then hit him in the numbers, uh, to which he then turned to the umpire and said, that was your fault. It was thrown out of the game. Had to be restrained by our strength coach at the time uh, and was fined the princely sum of, I believe, $100. So that was – Big money for a minor league career in those money days. money for a minor league player, yeah. But, yeah, Daryl, he was – he was a hoot, but yeah. So He's a he, character, and if, if if memory serves, him and Wally Backman were like super tight, which and which, uh, which feels appropriate. Which t- tells and, you something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two two guys cut from the same cloth. That checks out. Daryl, though, to his credit, tough guy, because in most of the playoff oh, yeah. run, he had a cracked rib, and he was still playing out of his mind. Oh, so wild. you know, 
until the very end when they told him you just cannot do this anymore. He was he was out there every day, so give him credit. He got a cup of coffee. That's hell yeah. He uh, he had a decent big league career. Yeah, he played for the Blue yeah. Jays, and um, I think he had the same freak injury that Conforto did. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, I think he actually hit a homer and his shoulder popped out. Uh, that sounds right during the swing. So unfortunate. Uh, that he never really made it back from that, but hey, he's a big right. leader. Uh, that's hey. ultimately why guys like that play is to exactly, you know, have their name on the back of the jersey and hang out at uh, the big league ballpark. Um, yeah. In terms of prospects, so um, I guess we'll we'll talk first about who who were the guys who were there. Uh, so pretty much the guys the who were there, yeah, early in the season, the guys who were there who were prospect. Related, I think were Matt Reynolds and Kevin Ploiecki. I think I'm pretty sure those yeah. are the two who I kind of remember being like, okay, these these are bigger deals. And then both of them were gone by midseason. But Plaw, I want to say, was the bigger of the prospects. Reynolds was just a hitting machine at that point. And uh, yeah, that I was mean, the weird year where I he, he, say he was like fringy 25. Player. Yeah, I want to say he was like fringy 25, and then just kind of just hit out of his mind. There was like one week where everyone was in Binghamton when they first called up the guys. We, we had like the weird run where like every prospect was in Binghamton and then they yeah. started filtering the AAA, uh, some of the, the higher end names. Yeah. So uh, looking at the, the BRF page, uh, TJ Rivera, I guess we could yeah, call him. He came up, he Jason. came up midway. Yeah. He came up from St. Lucie. Uh, Delson Herrera, the aforementioned uh, Delweed Hernia, as we like to call him. <laughs> um, Brandon Nimmo. Yep. Came up. Um, and then I want to say Conforto was there for a hot I think it was no, the next no, that was year. The next year yeah. he was there. Yeah, 2015 he came up for like a few weeks and then he was with the Bigs. So, uh, yeah, but, but yeah, most most names. of those most of those names yeah. that you would recognize were there. Robles was there from the beginning. I'm not sure if he was ever a prospect. Oh yeah, not a prospect or whatever. Now, I guess. Yeah, he was he was um, kind of his own animal because he was a starter at first and then became a reliever. Yeah, Hansel, Hansel Robles is uh, by far my favorite uh, immaculate grid. Uh, oh, he's yeah. Whenever he, he, I can fit him into a grid, I'm I'm all about it. I'm he started he, he 18 too. games. Oh, yeah, so he he started too. most of the first half of the year. He was very obvious, at least to me. He's a reliever. He would be nails for the first time of the order, and that second half of the order would start to get to him. So definitely was going to be moved once we started to get some arms. I think it was Alvarez and uh, Mats who had come up, and it's like all right, he needs to move to the pen. Try to remember. So we had guys like PV. Um, who was a starter basically the whole way. He was like just kind of like a lifer. Um, I want to say Adam Kalarik probably came up with St. Lucie yep. at that time. Future big leaguer, Adam Kalarik. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else was a starter on that team. It was kind of a wacky team. Filter where, by game started. Uh, so yeah, we didn't have a, do you want to do you want to guess who the the top starter uh, was? I want to say PV. He's a guy we he's a guy we recently discussed. Was, was Tyler Pill? Tyler Pill. Yep. Okay, yeah. Ty- he I pitched you a 3.83 ERA in yeah. 21 starts um, with just under nine strikeouts per nine and uh, a little over two walks. So pretty good year. Yeah, he, uh, he after and, him, and that was pretty much Tyler Pill to be honest. Like he was never he, dominant. He basically he was rode never that the highest to, end, but he just kind of consistently. That's what he was. <laughs> basically rode that to a uh, you know not insignificant big league. Hmm. Let's see how many games did he get into? Yeah, twenty-two innings. Yeah, uh, pitched for really just the Mets. Okay, I, the I, Mets I thought he got a cup of coffee. Uh, kind of bounced up else, here but... and there, but 
can't I can't remember if that was the year he had his home run too. It was like a weird day where Sandy Alderson had come down to town and Tyler Pill that that pitched, is the year pitched he well had, he and then and then also hit a dinger. Yes. Yeah, so. so yeah, well, that might have had some influence on uh, him eventually getting the call. I remember when he went up to AAA, uh, Pedro Lopez specifically had told them you need to let him hit, and so he did hit that day. He went 0 for two when he came back down because the thing was just making a spot start AAA. Pelo was giving him a lot of crap, like I vouched for you, and you went 0 for two. With the <laughs> this is unconscious. 0 for two, ah, <laughs> useless. <laughs> After Pill was uh, Rainy Lara. Oh yeah, Rainy Lara, no English. And then. <laughs> <laughs> and the aforementioned Greg Peavy, uh, who I think I saw start uh, the one time I made it down that year. Probably, yeah. Or up Greg, that year. He, he, he was he was a nice guy. Greg, Greg Peavy was very aware that this is it. He's one of those guys where the whole way he wanted to win a championship. Some of these other guys where it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of going through the motions. Greg Peavy's like, this is it. I would like to go out on top, please. So <laughs> I'm happy for him to, to end with that. Yeah, he, he, he had one more year left in him. Yeah. Um, in which he pitched in the, the Twins organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, beyond that. And then it's Hansel Robles, Matt Bowman, and oh, uh, Matt Bowman. Matt's I forgot Bowman. he was there, yeah. Bowman, I can't remember if he came up in that uh, St. Lucie group too, but yeah, but Bowman was pretty solid. And then Matt's was definitely a midseason call-up. Yeah, and Matt's was, I would say, easily the best pitcher, like best pitching prospect that we had of, yeah, of the whole I mean, group. He was the one where it was like, People paid attention when he was pitching. Yeah, it looks like he fucking shoved. Uh, yeah. 71 innings, 2.27 ERA. Uh, just again, just under nine strikeouts per nine with uh, under two walks. Yeah. When, 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 when he got going, pretty absurd. You could tell on days when his curveball, he, he would usually try to find it in the first inning. If he had it, it's like, all right, well, we're going to cruise. His, that pitch, his I don't know what happened to that pitch. Yeah, that neither pitch, he first came up. It was, was dominant. Like, yeah. His most impressive start for Binghamton wasn't even that season. It was when he was making his rehab. Uh, he was making a rehab start, and I'm pretty confident that game went like sub two hours. He just just cruised. It was, he was just unreal. Yeah. He was like, oh yeah, he's been in the majors for a little bit. It's he's somehow better. Um. So and then um after them with Gabriel and Noah, another prospect. Oh, sort Noah. Of yeah, yeah. Uh, Louis Sessa got a couple innings. Sessa, guys. Yeah, I want to say he was a St. Lucie guy too. Uh, Darren Gorski and trying to think who else. Tim Peterson. Peterson uh, got a cup of coffee. Yeah, just a little. Yeah, pretty, pretty. He was he was more with us I think in later seasons. Uh, Michael Fulmer got into a couple. He's, a, he's another one who was really more of a factor in fifteen, obviously, <laughs> than in fourteen. Uh, Jack Leathersitch. Oh yeah, he had that ninety-seven mile an hour fastball that he couldn't spot. Literally nothing else. Uh, John <laughs> Velasquez. Um, yeah, the, the, another Binghamton legend there, Johnny. Character. Vick. Yeah. Um, so names, but um, names that are probably more significant to you and I than to, than yeah, most that, of the, the known world. But, and, but honestly, that was uh, a lot of that 2014 team when when you look through that roster, you know. Yeah, so a little different than today, where a lot yeah. of it was like minor league lifers who um were just trying to ball out before yeah. they, you know. Fallout for yeah, pretty, pretty much. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because when I was I was looking through the roster a little bit today, and yeah, it's like you know you get guys like Nimmo and you know guys like like Mats who have, but really not a lot of like you know long term MLB players on that roster. But it it worked. They were, <laughs> it all it all worked. Yeah, but a lot of guys who are 23, 24, 25, yep. uh, yeah, still in you know Double A. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we talked about it a little bit, and um, 
just what was it like for the cavalry to come in the middle of the year and Man. you know the team was obviously pretty good before that yeah but, um, yeah the team was doing all right before that but there was a clear tier system it was the portland sea dogs who are the uh red sox affiliate and i believe still are the red sox affiliate and us uh we played a lot early in the season had a lot of games with them early in the year and just got our brains beat in by Portland, um, and, and again, in fairness, freezing cold weather, playing in Portland, Maine, and like yeah, March, terrible place some to nonsense be. games. Uh, as but, somebody who's been a New Englander for like a hot minute, yeah, it's, oh man, it's just a miserable place to be. In just, Portland. just brutal. Yeah, and made more brutal by the fact that Mookie Betts existed. Uh, and oh yeah, just utterly I mean, that'll, that'll killed, do it. He utterly killed. Uh, the P-Mets in the early going. Well, to the one point of the where, better prospects to come through minor league baseball. Yeah, to the point where uh, when he did, he, he got called straight to the uh, Red Sox and memory serves. And I was doing something in the dugout pregame that day, and Jorge Carrillo comes over and goes, hey, you hear about Mookie? I said, yeah. There you go. And he goes, thank God, right? That guy killed us. So, yeah. So they were they were doing pretty well, but definitely you saw the kind of the big bad looming in the future. And then, yeah, the cavalry came and – I can only say from a front office perspective, it one again was just kind of like a oh my goodness, we have seven new players and there's a lot to do. But from a like confidence perspective, it's like okay, the 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 Mets office sees something in Binghamton, they want Binghamton to win because it really did seem like okay, now we're getting like some higher end prospects, some guys, and they were all all stars. I think I want to say that they had like a bunch of all stars in in Port St. Lucie, and a majority of them got called up. So it's like, all right, this is going to be basically the new team. Um, so, and from there, you you could see like there was definitely a, a jump in performance, and especially guys like Dilson Herrera who were just gangbusters in in double a where there were there was games he would win by himself i mean he's one of those ones where it's like you know he'd get a double steal third steal home to win a game it was it was wild yeah his line was absurd yeah i want to say that was his last game in binghamton was was it was a walk-off win where he had the game tying double stole third and then wild pitch scored and scored at the plate and then got called up to the mets the next day <laughs> Which we actually, in fairness, we got a call from Sandy Alderson. Uh, he called our general manager um, really to apologize for taking Dilson, who was at that time arguably our best player, right? And it was right. Yeah, just right hitting out of his fucking gourd. Yeah. Uh, that, in Binghamton, he had 340, 407, yeah, 560, which is yeah. – uh, and as a 20-year-old. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and, and so he got called right before the playoffs. And I remember he called to say, like, look, we apologize. He's playing in the majors. Like, we, he's not – we're not calling him up to, like, sit. We're calling him to play. Uh, but – and. Dilson was also very checked in to what was happening in the playoffs. I, I met with him afterwards, and he needed every detail of what, of what had gone on while he was gone. But, uh, yeah, it, it definitely was an infusion of talent and of confidence uh, that I think really kind of propelled him through. And just kind of to get us over the hump with Portland, that, that was that was the big series. Yeah, it's almost like they got a downgrade using yep. bets to they the majors, bets. which bets uh, for reference – uh, not as absurd as I would have thought. 355, 443, 551. Still. It's almost 1,000 OPS and yeah. a little over 200 at-bats. So pretty nuts. Uh, yeah. One of the better prospects to come through minor league baseball. Uh, baseball in general. Stop, yeah. uh, one of the better players to Certainly emerge. during that era, yeah. Um, so yeah, so as they got a, a, like a downgrade, uh, you guys got a significant upgrade. And um, yeah. Uh, so what, what were the playoffs themselves like? 
what, what was it like so, uh, yeah. those games? So, was there like a lot of anxiety so, amongst the, the people working? So amongst the people working, it was – so it, it was a little different then than it was now because it was a full season thing. It wasn't a, a half season. So uh, I, I, I'm curious now how things are. If you win the first half and you know you're going to be in the playoffs in the second half, I'm curious how that changes from a front office perspective as opposed to oh, us yeah. where we were pretty sure we were going to be in. But, like you know, because really when you, when you look at the standings, it was kind of a runaway. I want to say like new uh, uh, the, the Rock Cats or something like that was, was behind us, but they were a distant third. So – yeah, it was it was there was a lot more that kind of had to go into it, obviously, to set things up. Um, we were the two seed out of the East, so we knew we had the first two games, and then if it went if it kept going, the next three were all going to be in Portland. Um, and Portland was a place again, House of Horrors early. We had not won a series in Portland all year, so. It was very apparent, especially to the front office, where you know we we wanted to win. Uh, you got to sweep the first two games uh, be, just to give yourself a chance in Portland. Um, the first game was a blast. I remember it ended on a walk-off home run by TJ Rivera, which anytime you can work a walk-off home run, especially in the playoffs, I recommend it. It's stressful at the time, but it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And when you work in your video department and you try to sell tickets for game two, you know, throwing Real together easy a 20 second commercial that is capped off by a, a walk-off home run uh, that usually helps so that was a blast but then the second game uh i don't remember the score i remember we didn't win and i remember the it was very much the feeling of a funeral uh i remember after the games we would be uh, just kind of in, in the press box you know decompressing talking about the game or whatever and a lot of the conversation was very much, hey, this might be it because we are going to Portland now. They need to win two out of three, which they had not done literally all season. Portland was very good at home. And again, that was just a good team. So it's like, all right, I think this yeah, is probably their B-Ref page. And there's a lot of big leaguers on that team. Yeah. Oh, and, they, and they had just called up uh, Rusni Castillo, too. I'm pretty sure I got the first picture in America of him because he didn't exist. Um, so again, it felt like the Red Sox were also like, Hey, we would like to win the championship too, please. Cause all of a sudden a bunch of big names started showing up there. I want to say they had a big pitching prospect too, who was a, who was a problem. Henry, Henry Owens. Yeah. Henry Owens. Uh, yeah. That was, there we go. Yeah. He was probably the, the biggest guy there. Yeah. Yeah. Henry Owens. Brian Johnson was a pretty, made the big leagues. Eduardo Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some real talent. There was there was definitely some names there, uh, but yeah, it was just yeah losing that second game. It really felt like all right, this is probably our, our last hurrah at home, just because yeah, again we, we didn't win in Portland, but luckily and, things, uh, yeah <laughs> things changed a little bit. I can't remember if we won game three or four. Uh, if they were down two one and needed to win back to back, or if they won three and then. If I was a little but, faster at Googling, I would figure that yeah, out. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll have to check on my, on my own. Um, so you, you advance past Portland and um, – Yeah, Portland went to five. To the, they, 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 they got through five. And then, honestly, so on the other end of the bracket was, uh, it was Richmond and I want to say Akron. I think it was Akron had beat up Bowie that year for the second one. Richmond had kind of cruised through theirs. We – very much had a fight to get through ours but again it really felt like portland was the bid the big bad so getting through portland the first two games were going to be in richmond we felt if they get one of them in richmond they can end it uh in binghamton 
from a travel perspective, it was a nightmare. Uh, Richmond oh, yeah, and Binghamton were basically trip. as far apart as you could go, and it's the minor, so you drive a bus. The Binghamton bus, I distinctly remember, broke down on the way back from Richmond. That, that, that That's the later part of the story. But, um, yeah, it, it was one of those ones where once it got going, once they got through Portland, you felt like they had a real chance. And then in Richmond, they just started rolling. They win both in Richmond. So they're up 2-0 in the series. They're coming home. Now, all of a sudden, it really feels like this has the chance to be like a coronation for the game. So that's when the excitement really started to build, where it's now you're no longer prepping for a playoff game. You're now prepping for potentially a championship game. And that was very much how we were selling it and very much what the feel was in Binghamton is that this this is for the championship. Even though we're up 2-0, even though if they lose game three, they'll have a chance for game four. Game three was the championship. No, let's, let's not let not it come know. to that. <laughs> yeah, I do not know what would have happened had it gone to four uh, from just everyone because very much all of our eggs were in that basket. We had a fireworks show planned for that night. Uh, back then, we ran the music for the fireworks show. So my, my music guy, you know, obviously they win the championship and a lot of it becomes, you know, championship fireworks. He turned to me and said, thank God they won because I had Shake It Off by Taylor Swift and I don't know what else for the next <laughs> 15 minutes of, of, of It's OK music. But, uh, yeah, so it was it was interesting. Just that would have been very sad if. Uh, oh, it would have been it would have been sad. Fireworks, you lose yeah, and but, still have to sit through the fireworks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, it was. um It was very much a this is the championship game aspect, even though. Technically, it, it wasn't. It, that's how it felt. It felt like this is the the, the winner take all game. Well, and ended up being, how it pushed yeah. it. Um, and so that that game, um, you want to just take me through your experience with it, or yeah. So that that game was 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 a blast. That game, it, it was the most it felt like a major league game from a just atmosphere perspective. It was the it was a sold out crowd, which again did not happen often in Binghamton, uh, even in the playoffs, even in those first two playoff games. You know. It was, it, the real reason you want to get home uh, field advantage in the playoffs, at least back then, was that you got the weekend. Uh, the, the two playoff games we had early were midweek, and those kind of come and go in terms of attendance. This was a weekend game. It was a championship game, sold out. So the atmosphere w- was crazy. We had Steven Matz on the mound, so you felt pretty decent about how uh, that was going to go. But, yeah, it was It was just – it, it was – Tense but exciting to like leading up to the game because again you felt like you had a real chance to, to win a championship. Yeah, there's something about having like um, your undisputed ace on the hill in a big yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and then him just shoving like a, oh, like a I mean he, he monster. He was. Honestly, it was a great he came on both sides. I mean it was that was a one nothing game going into the eighth. But yeah, Stephen Matz. I mean. Again, you talk about your Binghamton legends. That was a legendary Binghamton performance where he was just he was just dominant. He had a no hitter through well, I think he threw seven. He had a no hitter uh, or something like that. I think he finally yeah, cause I think I'm pretty sure he finally let up a hit in the eighth, and that's when we pulled him. But it was yeah, he was dominant. Uh, it was they they had scratched out a run, so you're hanging on to that one nothing lead. He needs to be dominant. It wasn't like one of those where it's like oh he's working on no hitter, but it's seven nothing. So if he loses, yeah, right. all the tension is gone. It was like this is still no, very your margin for error is, is zero. <laughs> yeah, is zero. So yeah, he finally looked to hit in the eighth, and I remember so. I wasn't technical director that game. I, we had an inexperienced technical director, but I remember yelling over. So he lets up the hit. 
and uh, Pilo comes to, to take him out. And, you know, you're getting that shot where he where he's walking to the dugout. And I remember yelling over technical director, get third base, get third base, get third base, because we wanted that shot of he's walking to the dugout. And we actually have a sold out crowd who's a very baseball aware sold out crowd. Yeah, if you're making the trip feet. out to Bingham, to, yeah. you know, for a championship game. Yeah, you're, rising you're to their feet to, to, for the appreciation. You know, we, we get the, the the hat tip from Stephen Matz, which we immortalized as, as a bobblehead in, in, in future uh, years. somewhere here on my desk. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's somewhere around here, too. Everything's kind of moving around. But, yeah, so that was... There's Stephen. There's Stephen. Yeah, th- again, the funniest part about that is that it's it's one of the most legendary pitching performances uh, in Binghamton history. It's a no decision. <laughs> he doesn't even get the win in that day because Robles comes in and lets up the run that, that he lets on. Of course, Hansel Robles did. Look, Robles, Robles was a machine in the bullpen. He was very good in that setup man role, but future Robles certainly kind of. Yeah, no, he's, he's a guy he's who's going to you know, hang a dick high fastball from time to time yeah. and. He did not uh, set up a home run. Surprising. But uh, no, but yeah, so that was, but then all of a sudden right now though, so the first part of the game, the first real story of the game is the no hitter. And, uh, you know, can, can Matt's do it? It would have been actually the second no hitter in the championship series in Beamon's history. I want to say Pulsifer threw one in 90 two or 94 something like that but so like it wasn't even like unusual it wasn't even unheard of that this could have happened yeah right but um but yeah so so he he the no hitter gets broken up and now that the game is tied um head to the ninth i want to say satter white came in in the ninth he was he was the big the big closer then and i say big because he was just physically just like yeti of a man yeah i'm pretty sure they called him yeti if memory serves um so yeah so he he came in uh, um Shot switch went down to the ninth, so now we go to the bottom of the ninth, which really, again, it's kind of what you dream of, right? Where it's like you have a chance, yeah, to, win yeah, a championship, yeah. chance to have a walk You know, when you're playing in your backyard and yeah, you, can, you know, you have a chance, chance your head, that's, to uh, win a championship. And that's the setup. Yeah, that, that's everything you could ever hope for. Um, again, you would think that I've, I've played through this enough times, but really I just remember kind of the end where Gavin Cicchini, uh, who – was not really a part of this team. I'm pretty sure he was pinch running at second base. Uh, so we always laughed that of all people, you actually can hear uh, Tim Hyman was our was our play by play back then, and he always jokes you can hear the surprise in his voice that of all people coming around third to score the winning run, it is Gavin Cicchini, uh who was not part One of the team. surprising that he was on base. Yeah, the only uh, way it surprising been, he was there. The only way it would have been funnier is if it was uh, L.J. Mazzilli. Uh, LJ Mazzilli, for reference, was called up that day. So we were referencing um, Daryl Siciliani um, and his rib injury. And actually, come to think of it, Siciliani – so we called up Mazzilli in case Siciliani couldn't get cleared that night. But I've actually – now that I think of it, I believe Siciliani was still cleared. So Mazzilli was never technically part of the team, but he was in the dugout that night. Um I, again, I mentioned seeing Dilson afterwards. He specifically asked about Mazzilli and if Mazzilli gets a ring because he was incredulous that LJ is going to get a ring despite never actively being a part of the team, <laughs> but very much being a part of the celebration. So that was always kind of fun. Yeah, but, it was funny because Dilson was not part of the celebration. Correct. Yeah, uh, and but he was, was very much a part I of the team. To, I had to really emphasize that you, you are getting a ring. We are giving you, you – it's going to be okay. He's not taking your he ring. He will mail it to you. Don't worry. You are getting a ring. Yeah, so, but, um, 
Yeah, but yeah, but then uh, Jace Boyd, the the Binghamton legend up at the plate, who had a you know had had a, I remember it was, it was good at bat. It was it was a back and forth again, a lot of a lot of tension through there. But he fires one off to right center. Daryl Carbonell. These are the names I remember in, in center field, running on, diving to make it, can't can't make the play. Uh, and the other kind of fun fact about this, so you know, obviously, like we said, Chikini uh, um, comes around to score, BMets win the championship. But again, I mentioned Tim Hyman, who I, who I was very friendly with, and in in all of his his, his bluster for, for the call. He calls it's a walk off double by Jace Boyd and the Mets are once again kings of the Eastern League. Great call. And that was our thing. This is hours after the game. We've all we've had the celebration. We've had the, the all everything. Comes over and goes, was that a double? So we, we, we ended up having to go back and look to see, was he right? Did Jace ever get to second? And. The, Wait, eventual, the game ends once Chichini uh, yep, right. scores. And, and the ruling that we ended up coming with was close enough. Uh, so yeah, he, you round up. He was, you know. he was like, he was kind of there. He was kind of there. I don't think Jace Boyd ever truly outruns Gavin Chichini, who gets a head start from second base, but <laughs> he called it close enough. That and the other great mystery that, to my knowledge, has never been solved. We don't know what happened to that ball. Jace Boyd hits a double. Wins the championship. Again, Carbonell is the center fielder, but because we only had at that time well, three cameras, I guess it was, and all of them are kind of focused on, you know, the championship uh, yeah. winning run and the ensuing celebration that goes on. Um, yeah, we don't know what happened to the ball. We don't know if Carbonell took it. We don't know if they threw it over the fence. We have no clue. We went out and looked uh, to see if it was over the fence. One point. No idea. So that ball is just somewhere. Has been but, lost to time. Off the time, yeah, but uh, so again, funny just kind of how those things happen. Jace Boyd then in subsequent years, um, so obviously we all got championship rings. Uh, Jace Boyd in subsequent years, if he saw you wearing a championship ring, would point to it and say you're welcome. So you know, <laughs> not not that he was <laughs> taking credit, right. yeah, as is his right. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that was one of his his go tos as years would go on. Just just you're welcome and <laughs> move on. Uh, so I know I know you got to leave soon, but um. Just figured we'd wrap up by saying, you know, what's what's the legacy of, of that team, uh, both in terms of like, you know, your memories of it. Uh, you know, you've gone on to do a lot of things in video elsewhere um, outside of minor league baseball. Where does, you know, getting to be with that team uh, pretty much start to finish and, and rank amongst uh yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's pretty up there in terms of my professional career. You know, since you know I started working in, in collegiate athletics, and we've won championships and, and with teams that I've worked with, and, I, and I've been around, including baseball championships. I like to joke around that um, my first year in Binghamton, we won a baseball championship. My first year at Moorhead State, we won a baseball championship. I'm now at Mercer, so there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, but um, <laughs> got to keep the streak going. Got to keep the streak alive. Yeah, but um, you know, so so I, I've been around championships. There's something about a minor league baseball being in that championship. The season is longer. You're around these guys every day. You get to know them personally and their stories and things like that. Um, you know, you're, you're around people who also are just, you know, like people in the staff who are just, they're Binghamton lifers. Like this is, you know, they, they live and die with this team and the success of this team. So being around that was a blast. And again, just, it was my first taste of professional sports. Uh, and, 
being in the organization that I root for. You know, I was I, I was a Mets fan. I'm still a Mets fan, as as tough as that can be at times, um, especially now living in in the Atlanta area. I'm sure that'll be a blast next year. Um, but um, you know, being part of an an organization that that I was a fan of, becoming a fan of these guys in particular, and winning a championship, it, it's definitely up there in terms of my career, in terms of my memories. I always joke around. I, I, I took out my little my little DVD uh, that I that I made uh, for for commemorating the championship. So you know, from a professional development standpoint, you know, got to do a lot of fun things yeah, that don't normally get to do. Things. Yeah, yeah, and just right championship related things, and just you know. Being a part of playoff atmosphere, which you don't always get to do. You know, I know plenty of people who never really get to be part of that playoff atmosphere. Or and so, you know, it was it, it is a as high memory for me. It's something that I, I still treasure and cherish and, and look back on that time in in, in the the B Mets tenure as as you know it was it was my first year, but it was it was a fun year for for your first year. Gotcha. Yeah. And then uh, finally, I guess we'll end. Uh, we've talked about him before. Uh, I'm sure you'll be on at some point again, maybe uh, next time. Binghamton's in the <laughs> but uh, Bob. Oh, Bob. Bobby. What what was his deal throughout all of this? Bob was – so Bob, for those who, who don't know, uh, Bob was our – he was our resident fan. Every place has a fan. I still think about this guy all the time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so do I. Yeah. I so, only met him two or three times. I think about him at least once a week. Yeah. Bob, Bob Krause. Um, so Bob Krause was again, our resident fan. He would show up at the ballpark at like, you know, nine in the morning, 10 in the morning. Sometimes we come into our morning meeting. Uh, we had a thing of dumb, dumb lollipops. So usually we just give him that. Bob was, uh, uh, not the most, he, uh, he, I, we don't know what Bob's story was entirely, whether, um, he was always kind of uh, mentally challenged or if, we know he had a an army tattoo. He was so old and weathered that we could not see what the regiment was or, or what any of that was. We know he was. Bob was not together enough to tell. Yeah, me. and you would ask him, and you get no answers, right? Uh, we know he was a cook, but he was just kind of like he, he was there all the time. He had the shakes, so like every time, and, and he he knew he would go through the the program. He knew everyone by number. He knew what all their stats were, and he would tell me about them all the time, whether I wanted to hear them or not. He would. Uh, frequently uh tell the players how they were doing he was the primary antagonist for one jorge carrillo <laughs> would tell him you're no good you're, you're no good and then point to things uh if if jorge in particular went through a minor slump he would come and be like bob's killing me so we need to change something um so <laughs> uh, he liked to remind me of what the score was during games as if i didn't know but you know always appreciated uh he very much liked to tell me information i told him the day before as if it was new information um, but, uh, we spoke a language that I called Bobanese, where it's just because everything was, so like I was one of, I imagine you're the only person uh, out there who could fully translate. I was one of very few people who could have like, I would just sit out there with him. If I was dumb in my work and, you know, I liked watching batting practice and Bob was always there. I would just sit out there and just, and just talk, talk, as I say with air quotes, talk with him as, as, as best I could. And usually it was just a lot of just kind of like, what were you doing yesterday? Uh, he he stayed at a, an assisted living facility that I'm pretty confident just had baseball on for him all the time. So oh, nice. there would be times where he would be telling me about a game that the big boys played yesterday, meaning the Mets. The Mets were not on. So I would just kind of go with <laughs> it and be like, I, yep, I, I don't know who you're talking about, but yep, I, I guarantee <laughs> they were. He's just watching like uh, the University of Binghamton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but um, 
But no, for for he, I I love Bob to death, and uh, for, again, people like Bob who just literally their life was the Binghamton Mets, Binghamton winning a championship. That's uh, just what he did. Yeah, that. yeah, that was that was his yeah, thing. Exactly. Every day, his thing. He, 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 I imagine it never got better than than. Yeah, exactly. He'd walk nope. to the ballpark from his assisted living facility. Yep, he walked to the ballpark. Uh, would sit in day. on your morning meetings and uh, just can't the imagine how happy that must have made him. Yeah, the great fun would be on days when we would have people who were not part of the organization in on a morning meeting or just any sort of meeting, and Bob would just burst in and usually with some obscenity to yell at someone. Uh, so it was always entertaining to be like, no, he's not like a random. We we know Bob. It's it's okay. Yeah, no, he's a fixture around these parts. So. He's just he's just Bob. He would try to fight the 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 drone that uh, Gabriel Noah would would fly around. That was yeah. There's a million Bob stories. We could probably have an entire thing about just Bob Crowd stories. I think stories, we did but... more or less last time. <laughs> Guys, but yeah, I, I could imagine that being kind of like a highlight of his life, uh, uh, oh, especially yeah. the latter years when he, he's not fully there. Oh, there were so many legendary fans who you really there was that or the Oldler. There was there was a bunch of like. You know, fans who again, the, the the Binghamton Mets were what they did, especially in their in their later years. Yeah, and just, yeah, they exactly. went games every day, so it was it was probably a thrill for them to to get a championship again. And, and not all of them are still around, unfortunately now, but I'm sure they have some lifers there who are, who are really pulling for them. I'm the, sure they're uh, whatever whatever lifers are no longer with them. I'm yeah. sure uh, the ranks have been filled. Oh, I'm, I'm certain that they have. Do you know, is Bob still kicking or? So I checked in. I know one person who is still there and I have not, I, they, they have told me Bob is still at least in, so he doesn't get around as well as he used to, but to my knowledge, he's still around. Cause I always got to check in cause I'm going to be devastated. But, of course, yeah, no. but Bob, yeah. to my knowledge is still, still kind of haunting Binghamton. I haven't made it over there in, in probably two or three years, but, uh, would like to go and we'll keep an eye out, yeah. Yeah, see, see if I re- if Bob rec- I I highly doubt he'd recognize me. I only met him. I would times, look. But... I talked to that man every day, and I was the guy with the beard. So like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Which is better than some of the nicknames we got. Yeah, he, he called he called I, I Fat have... Boy. So like, you know, if I, if I got a guy with a beard, that was that was a winner for me. Yeah, nothing, nothing. Uh, you know, I'll take that. That was a distinguishing feature. I'm good with that. <laughs> you do have a nice beard, so you know, I try. I try. It's getting grayer, but I try. All right. Well, we are about at your stop time. Uh, so I'll let you go and get to volleyball. But uh, oh, yeah. thank you, good. as always. This has been great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hopefully Mercer keeps your, your streak alive. That's, you know, we, we can only hope. We'll, we'll see what happens come spring. Again, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. So we'll see if they can do it. Anything you'd like to plug before we leave to our like? Uh, I don't know if I, need, if I need to plug anything. I don't give me a few weeks before you guys start watching Mercer Athletics, uh, just because you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll let you trying to clean things out a little bit, you know. Try okay, to so to cool. our four <laughs> listeners uh, around. <laughs> it is September twenty third. You want to say like October twenty third? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. How about- it should about, be uh, up to the Joe Campion standards. Yeah, if you want to watch some Mercer football, have have, have at it. Yeah, start but, uh, of yeah, no, that's about it. And if you wanted to pay, uh, I looked it up, twelve dollars and thirty cents on eBay. You too can own a copy of Kings of the Eastern League, my my one and only DVD highlighting the season of the 2014 Binghamton Eastern League champions. All right, so look out for that on eBay if you're so inclined. <laughs> uh, I think we both have Stephen Matz bobbleheads. We both have Stephen Matz bobbleheads. 
that's Even probably bobblehead, I learned I just learned two weeks ago he's in the bobblehead hall of fame that bobblehead which is very cool because I, I had a part in, in designing that is it because of um how much he looks like Willem Dafoe I'm, I, I can only hope so I can only okay, hope so I that that is bizarre to me that he looks like the man who would go on to fight the Green Goblin. <laughs> that's the that's the deleted scene. Instead of talking to the mask, he talks to the Stephen Head uh, Max Bob. That that's what it is. <laughs> All right, thanks again, Joe. Yes, thank you for having me. This was fun. All right, everybody, that is our show for the week, and of course, let's go Binghamton Rumble Ponies. So if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Sleipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we are a Patreon-based podcast, so if you like our show or if you like any of the other podcasts that are in the Harmon Apple Network, you can subscribe for just $5 a month, and it would be you know greatly appreciated, of course. So we'll be back next week, and hopefully we will be talking about the Binghamton Rumble Ponies Championship. Until then... Love the Mets. Love the Mets.